What's poppin'? It's your girl Red Corvette, and this is the Still Blooming Podcast. Honestly, I was supposed to put out this podcast last week because I wanted to like align it with an event that was coming up that my guest was hosting. It just didn't work out that way. I think I'm kind of like over the winter. Being in a place where there's an actual like weather condition, like I have to check the weather app to see if it might snow or if it might rain or how windy it is, you know, how how windy it's going to be before I step out has been taking a little bit of a toll on me. Uh, I'm just not used to it being a California girl. We literally have no sense of seasons. It's 60 degrees plus year round and may drop down to 40 in the month of January, but we pretty much wear whatever we want and may layer up, but I don't have to like deal with the different conditions winter may throw me daily. So yeah, I'm navigating transitions. It's just been wild. It's up and then it's down. But nonetheless, I finally got through finishing up the episode and here it is. This episode is in partnership with The Last Supper Society, a culinary collective that designs food experiences, reimagining how we break bread together. Not only can you find Ryan and Byron turning the kitchen up at their Sacramento restaurant, Tiger Lounge, you can catch them creating collaborative experiences in a city near you. Follow them at Last Supper Society across all socials and stay tuned for what's to come from the two. How did you find yourself in a creative entrepreneurial space? Wow. So I feel like it's been, even when I worked for people, it was in spaces where I had a lot of independence and was relied upon to kind of do my own thing to make money for that company, right? So even the roles that I had when I wasn't in a purely entrepreneurial space were kind of entrepreneurial in their spirit and how we kind of went about things. But I think that being kind of like a multi-hyphenate creative or like a generalist where I originally just dabbled in a lot of things and found that I had all these different tools in my tool belt that I can use to bring value, whether it was to community, whether it was to a business, whether it was to myself and my family or, or in pursuit of whatever the case may be. You know, I felt that I had all these different tools and instead of just specializing in one thing, I could put all of these different things together and kind of build my own path with that. And somehow that path led me and my business partner, Byron Hughes, to Last Supper Society and establishing that business with him, who is another multi-hyphenate creative and from a designer to a chef to whatever the case may be and me being more, you know, my creativity and, and, you know, community building and production, whether it's film, et cetera, and some of the logistics things, the creative parts of that. We built this thing in the, in the heart of the pandemic or right when the pandemic started and it just took off and we've been challenging ourselves creatively ever since to, to find new ways to effectuate change at the intersection of food and culture. It's been dope. It's been a crazy ride. That's lit. I learned about you guys when you started doing the series at the Viridian. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. My homegirl was like, we should go to this because we always talking about yeah. going to like different experiences and right. trying to like find different things to do. That was that- dope, too. That was dope, too. That was that was part of our Dark Hour series where we pop up and take over different restaurant spaces and reimagine them for one night around some concept so it's a super collaborative kind of like underground food party that we do and there's different elements like music or art or whatever that we bring into those that one was like uh, that was last february or january february so we did it for lunar new year and it was like black and asian solidarity play that we did because viridian's a super dope uh, asian-owned place 
And uh, yeah, we did, we did, uh, we called it Tigers in Shaolin because it was the year of the tiger. And we found the intersection of like black and Asian solidarity to be like Wu-Tang. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we, we did this whole like Wu-Tang concept from the food to the music. We had like a DJ projected across the wall. It was nuts. It was, yeah, it was dope. That was one of my most fun ones, favorite ones that we did. Yeah. So what is the last supper society? Cause I, I mean, I know that you said that everybody plays these different roles, but yeah. can you explain to me what the last supper society actually is? Absolutely. So last supper society is a culinary collective and brand activation agency. And we basically create for businesses on the B2B side, we create things built around culturally fluent activations that connect businesses or brands to diverse audiences. And we just use food as that kind of through line or that touch point because we feel that food is one of the most powerful cultural artifacts, one of the most ways to bring people together. Yes. So if you're trying, so if your business or your brand is trying to connect with diverse audiences in authentic ways, we use food to help you do that. And we build campaigns around it for your brand. But we also are just a super dope culinary collective that does, that takes a lot of our own creative ideas and just brings them, bring them to the world. So whether it was like that dark hour series mm-hmm. or what we do for Juneteenth, the hella Juneteenth or you know, any of our creative projects, we want, we just use food as an access point, food and beverage, food and drink um, as an access point to build community, community development and uh, making originally just making the fine dining thing more accessible to people who look like us, you know, and that's kind of what brought us together originally was us sitting down and and Byron, Chef Byron, my business partner, kind of just being a little tired of the the restaurant grind where he would pull up to these fine dining restaurants that he worked at nobody in the kitchens looked like him and nobody who he was making this amazing food for in the dining rooms uh, you know those restaurants looked like him and he just wanted to find a better way to you know feed people you know feed people and the rest is kind of history how do you because these are your friends right Byron is my homie. Yeah, my business partner is my homie. Yeah. So how are you Mm -hmm. able to switch between being friends and also working as business owners? Through this whole thing, we've we've turned from being friends to being brothers. And Mm -hmm. it's always important to make sure that we know what each other's responsibilities are when we're trying to have a thriving business, but also understand that we are you know we're brothers we're people and that relationship really comes first you know we got off to such a crazy pace in the pandemic creatively pivoting to to the virtual model that a lot of people did at the time but we found a way to do it a little different with our with our live cooking show the cook-in yeah and when that took off with that speed we really had to step back after a few months and figure out like we were just pushing, pushing, pushing and not connecting through our friendship, through our brotherhood as much. And I think it, it, you know, we got exhausted. We hit a wall at some point and we had to figure out, Hey, how do we actually work well together? You know, besides that, we just come up with, with these dope ideas and the creativity part flows so easy, but when this level, this like frenetic pace comes in and it's about producing, executing over and over again, how do we stay connected as homies? How do we stay connected, tapped in and in tune with each other and each other's needs as far as rest and as far as, you know, personal and alone time and, and balance that while still having a business because it never really, the pandemic hit a week after we launched our business. So imagine our business, which was built around connecting people through food, like physically breaking bread together. And then the pandemic hit and it was like everything that we had planned for a year and all these business models and everything, it was exactly what you cannot do in a pandemic. You know, you cannot be around nobody. You can't break bread with anybody. And then when we found a way to do that virtually and people caught onto it because people just wanted 
you know, people were seeking out connection and connectivity and community more than ever because it was forced, we were all forced apart. We just hit the ground running so fast and we didn't even have a plan. You know, this was just our creative, the cooking was our creative pivot, mm-hmm. you know, in response to the pandemic. So it wasn't planned. We were making it up as we went. And, you know, thank God it was successful or we wouldn't be here today. But, you know, when you don't have a plan for it, we, you know, we spent a year and a half planning for something and then just executing something completely different. So, you know, we hit a wall for sure. And that made us look, you know, sit, look in the mirror and sit down and figure out like, okay, we know what our each other's skills are, but how do we actually work? This episode is sponsored by A Party Called Butter, held in Oakland, California at Amber Lounge every Sunday and at Sally's in Brooklyn. Join us every week for R&B, deep cuts, B-sides, mingling, cute-ass cocktails, and just pure vibes. Once again, that's The Party Called Butter, held every Sunday at the Amber Lounge in Oakland, California and at Sally's in Brooklyn on random Thursdays. Stay tuned and follow us at A Party Called Butter on Instagram. Now back to the episode. But I was going to ask you about the cooking, like how did that come yeah. about? You kind of explained it and the importance of just sharing between other creatives. How important is it to share these type of experiences with people and share a series like that? Absolutely. So it was it was amazing because there were so many things that I think we all took for granted that the pandemic shined a light on because we lost that a super important level of connection and community by being able to just gather, you know? So we sat down and we were like, yo, how can we gather people when we physically have to be apart for our own health and safety? I wasn't even kicking it with my parents at that time. So it was like, how can we get these people together and, and this community that we're lacking and how can we stay connected with creatives and how can we share creativity and things like that? So we built this, we called it a live interactive TV show. So it was like a cooking show that had the interaction and interactivity of a cooking class, but we played it the whole thing like it was a talk show. So we would have someone like yourself, like a dope creative joining us virtually from your kitchen. Yeah. And we were on set cooking and people at home and so we did it all throughout Sacramento, through the Bay, San Francisco, Oakland. There was pickup locations where you could pick up the pre-prepped and packaged ingredients for this, like a restaurant quality dish, something you would have never tried on your own at home, right? Yeah. We had everything pre-prepped and, and ready to go. And you pick up your box and we, the pickup locations were like bottle shops and bars and restaurants. And we had them like whipped some cocktails or do wine pairings or something like that so we can drive business to them too. So when people came to pick up their supper kit is what we called them. People would purchase from them too to go cocktails and things like that that went with your meal. And it turned into like date night and, you know, like the dope thing to do on Fridays, like every week to where we would have like 500, 600 people cooking and then another four or 500 people just watching the show like it was a TV show. And we did it on YouTube. And we, as we watched the thing grow from like week, the first episode of season one, and we did like three seasons of this, like 30 episodes to where I was like, people needed this, you know, like people needed this. And it was like in the comments, people were like, literally, it was like they were hanging out and kicking it with each other. And, and all of these dope creatives from, from Alexandra Z, who's a, a dope artist in Oakland to, Brandon Ruffin, who's a dope photographer out of Oakland, you know, like all of these amazing people. Dusty Baker, who was the manager who just won the World Series this year, was on the show. Um, man, Alicia Garza, you know, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter was on the show. We were having these real conversations while we were just busting down vegetables and cooking, you know, searing yeah. steaks or whatever we were doing for that recipe that time. Jamaica and Kalu from Black Girls Greenhouse on the show so it was just like these just super dope people sharing what they were going through at a time in the world where you know there was the pandemic the actual pandemic and then another pandemic of seeing people who look like us being killed in the streets at the same time 
So, you know, there was crazy conversations and it was all happening because we were just breaking bread together. You know, and we really saw the power of what breaking bread can do on a macro level because we see it in our homes, right? We just had Christmas and we're cooking with the family and doing all these things. Um, but we got to see it at a macro level where strangers were coming together and there was this common thing and it just made us understand the power of what last society can be even more. So by the time the world opened back up, we were just so motivated and inspired to, to find more creative ways to, to bring people together. Did you guys go back to the business model that you had before? Or did you like develop something entirely new after the world opened back up? It's crazy because it's like a hybrid now, you know, and it's, I never want to say that, you know, the pandemic was a, a blessing in any way, but the go-to-market strategy that we had, you know, going into it and then, you know, the cooking was way better, <laughs> you know, the cooking was, and we never, we just made that up. That was like yeah. jumping out of an airplane and using our creativity as a parachute. You know, we just made up with it, made it up like. You know, we have to come up with something because we yeah. already risked too much. You know, yeah. I had left my corporate job and Byron had left the restaurants. And so we were we were just in it. And then like where we are now, as far as, you know, doing the brand activation agency work, that came basically from the cooking as well, because brands were like, yo, we see what you're doing. Can you do something for us? You know, and we had all these ideas and we were like, yes, absolutely, we can. So we started building things from ads, from marketing stuff and ads for, let's say, a liquor brand or whatever the case may be to bigger campaigns for them. And because, you know, we had, you know, I come from a production background, yeah. you know, an agency background. <clears throat> so we had all the tools to actually build. We're like, yeah, we can do this. We can do a commercial for you right now. So we shot this and we shot that. And then people wanted to like, hey, can you do, you know, this live streaming thing that you guys are doing? This is super high quality because everybody was going live at the time from just going live on IG or Twitch, uh, Twitch and everything like that. But it was like everyone just jumped to it. Yeah. Like nobody was taking the time to like, really, really produce mm -hmm. something. And, and when we kind of came out with the show and people were like, damn, where are you shooting this at? I was like, we're getting this off in the crib. <laughs> you know, we had my whole, my whole crib was, was, you know, couches removed out the way and yeah. cameras and lights set up everywhere. And, yeah. you know, and, and they were like, wow. So I was like, yeah, imagine what we could do if we had some, some real resources and, and then it just took off. You also mentioned an agency. What is the difference in working in a restaurant or like personally cooking for somebody versus having a whole entire food agency. Yeah. So it's crazy. So, so we actually do have a restaurant now, which is, which is something that happened later. We have a restaurant right in downtown Sacramento. Thank you. For us, it's called Tiger Restaurant and Lounge right in the heart of downtown. Sac I, knew Tiger. I didn't know that Tiger was you guys. Since February. So it was, it's been, um, you know, what's up? Robbie. Yeah, Robbie's one of my business partners in the restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Robbie and Tony, HOF, shout out. So yeah, so do, running an agency, a brand activation agency, compared to the restaurant game. So for us, it's all, it's just different arms of our business. So kind of like, think of us as a traditional restaurant group, which was something that was added later this, this year as of February. But when you think of it like a, a brand activation agency, think of everything from, shoot, like YSL did a new collection and hit us, tapped us to create a food experience for their, for the drop of their new collection. And they had models and private shoppers, and VIPs coming through this experience to view this new collection. We transformed their whole store basically into a new experience just for them. And, you know, when people hit us, whether it's, it's a community building project or, or the, it's like a festival size thing, like we did for Juneteenth, which was like 3000 people, you know, we are creating our focus is on experience, you know, competing on food just isn't 
our business model. Now the food is fire, do not get me wrong. If we show up anywhere, whether it's an event or you come just to eat at the restaurant, the food is fire. But competing on yeah. food is not like, you know, from a traditional marketing background, if I get in my marketing bag real quick, like that is red, we would call that red ocean. There's too many people good at cooking, right? Like I right. can't sit here and say, yo, we make better food than Thomas Keller. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't say that and it's subjective, right? So, but we can say that we can create an experience like no one else can. We can create an experience specifically for super diverse audiences and create these, what we would call culturally fluent experiences where you could have, whether it's like a fine dining situation, our expertise is removing the stuffiness, removing the, the pomp and circumstance and all of that while still maintaining the quality and the principles in the kitchen, you know, Chef Byron is, is dope. He can do anything from something that, you know, it's like your grandma did it or something, you know what I mean? That you would get a, you know, worked at Michelin star restaurants. Right. So <clears throat> for us, it's just about experience. It's about how you feel, you know, it's, it's about reverse engineering a feeling for you. And, and people come, you know, to do our things because they want to feel something. They want to catch a vibe and they might want some message, a side of a message in there. You know what I mean? Where we're, we're really talking about something or we're really linking arms with culture and community at yeah. that powerful intersection. So, so I think for us, like for everything we do, whether it's at Tiger in the restaurant or it's on a cliff in Half Moon Bay or it's a Wu-Tang thing joined at Viridian, you know, we're trying to create an experience and reverse engineer that so you feel something, so you catch a vibe or so that we can move you or we can effectuate change in some way. And, you know, the business model of a, of a restaurant has been the same for a long time. And I think, again, the pandemic has started changing a lot of the ways that that of restaurant culture and industry with dope people like Chef Ravi Kapoor at Leo Leo Yacht Club and Good Good Culture Club, you know, and and how he's reimagining things and a lot of different chefs are 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 you know especially how much that we are diving into and investing in mental health these days um trying to create healthier systems and more equitable systems within the restaurant structure um but from an agency background you would think of it more like any creative agency but really really niche in the standpoint of that we are going to generally for the most part use food or beverage to to help connect with a diverse audience lastly um and the last mm -hmm. question would be how are you taking care of yourself and prioritizing rest through everything that you have going across uh, going on so to be honest for a large part of 2022, I would say the end of 2021 going into 2022, I was doing a really poor job of that. And <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> just to keep it a buck with you. It's so um, easy I was to doing take a, care of Yes, I was doing a really, really poor job of that. Um, and again, it was more, it had a lot to do with because we, it took this pace, or I felt like at least at the time that it required this pace that I had to keep up. I was like, yo, if they want this from us, we got to give it to them while they want it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how long, how long are we going to stay hot? Like, we got to just keep just, just the output was just so high. And, um, you know, people talk about work-life balance and that's like such a, you know, catchy phrase these days. But for me, I like, I started, like when I started getting healthier, with it was when I kind of rejected that phrase. And instead of, because from the beginning, if you say work-life balance, you have these two separate things and you're trying to balance them out. And for me, I just want to create a holistically healthy life. There's not yes. this life over here and then work over here. I'm trying to create this thing that is healthy with my relationships and my everything, mm -hmm. you know, kind of in that. I'm just trying to create a healthy life. So <clears throat> once I started kind of looking at it from that perspective, it was like, okay, what do I need to do to be the best version of myself? 
And I, and I also realized that, you know, I had to take a step back and say, am I creating healthy environments for the people that work with and for me too? Because I work at a pace that is, you know, regardless, even now that I feel like I have a much healthier lifestyle with it, um, incorporating rest and things like that, I still work at a pace that's probably a little more you know, pedal to the metal than, than a lot of other people. But to demand that same pace out of other people, mm. you know, was like, just because you ain't sleeping, that doesn't mean they can't. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we have to find ways to work, you know, smarter, yeah. not just harder. And how can we, how can we get to this dollar easier? How can we get to this level of change easier? You know, and let's imagine, let's reimagine these systems because, you know, your boy was, your boy was running, running it till E and then still rolling into the gas station each time instead of trying to keep a full tank, you know, and I'm still getting better reprioritizing therapy and things like that, that I know I needed, that I felt like I got to a place on that I could dip out. Oh, I got it now, you know, instead of having these healthy systems of maintenance. Um, you know, yeah, like, you know, I, it's just about, it's, it's about not asking too much of myself and giving myself grace because I mean, you know, hopping out into the entrepreneur game, as you know, as well is just like, you know, it's like, man, if I, if I'm asleep, I'm not making money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I have to go get every dollar and you know, trying to figure out some of these passive income sources and, and how to make the money work a little bit more efficiently. Um, but it was like, yo, why am I gonna, like, I'm just gonna, okay, I finished this, I finished my to-do list. Let me come up with the next round of ideas in the creative queue. So when YSL or when Bacardi or when somebody hits us up, you know, instead of taking weeks and a month to figure out what the next thing is, it's like, yo, we got to you know, we have this full fleshed out bag of ideas. Let us just dig in our bag real quick. But, <clears throat> you know, I remember being up one night and was like, yo, what am I doing? I, I don't have any work to do right now. <laughs> you know, things are good. Why am I just staring at this computer like a weirdo right now, like trying to just pull something out of my brain? I was like, things are good. You know, let's let's just find ways to to build you know, infrastructure around, you know, and build systems around it. So, you know, but we, and we learned the hard way with it, to be honest, we learned the hard way where we just crashed. We had too many things on our plate at once. The work product started, you know, slipped on one, <clears throat> on one event where it was like, oh, wow, you know, <clears throat> the idea is dope. The execution wasn't in this, in this situation, just because we just, we just put too much on our plate and we're, you know, we didn't give this brand the best of us. And we just vowed to not do that ever again. You know, we, we learned to say no, we learned to be more selective instead of just like, Oh, these people want to give us money. Let's take it. <laughs> you know, we're going to get, we'll take it and we'll figure it out. But we, we got more selective. We started, we learned to say no. And I think that's a powerful tool for all entrepreneurs is to understand your value learn how to say what to say yes to and what to say no to for sure the wind down i'm just gonna throw out a couple of quick fire questions and i just want you to answer with whatever comes to mind Absolutely. so the first question is top five restaurants around the world to eat oh around the world i saw that y'all like to travel <laughs> right, but I'm gonna stay in the hood though. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay where I be at. <laughs> I'm gonna stay okay, where I be at. Top five. So <clears throat> where you be at? <laughs> okay. So so first, I'm gonna drop one in Sac. Shout out to Crew in Sac, dope sushi spot in Sacramento. Shout out to Chef Billy No and the team okay. over there. Mister Juice in San Francisco. Okay. Is is gas. The restaurant is closed now, but I still want to shout out Chef Sarah. Kernan from Miss Ollie's. We just wrapped. So she op she reopened another spot, but the, the tradition of the main Miss Ollie's is, is gone. But we just kicked it with her actually. She pulled up on us in sack 
and and did some private catering for Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock when they came to SAC. So shout out to Chef Sarah for that. That's three. Man, Chef Nelson at Sobre Mesa in Alamar, my guy in Oakland. We were just there over the weekend too. And where else have I been? Where have I been recently? That's that's five. Man, shout out to to Auntie Masha, my actual aunt, who did the sweet potato pies yesterday, because those were crazy. Uh, <laughs> that's my grandma's recipe, so we're gonna shout out grandma. And my grandma owned Royster Catering and was like the first black woman to like cater for governors of California and stuff like that back in the day. So shout out to her. So we'll Absolutely. find a way to throw her in there too. There. Yeah. There, a funny story a funny or crazy story about a time either working in the kitchen or doing producing an experience crazy story so we did okay so we did an episode of the cooking right so when we were when we were doing the cooking so remember we had a super small team back then so on a given episode day we were doing pickup food pickup in sack Oakland and San Francisco all to all at the same time and we were filming in Sacramento so it would be like yo Byron would go do run the pickup in we started making Byron do Sacramento because it was like yo chef has to be here <laughs> on time like if I didn't make it for the show like yeah that would be bad but the show could still go on you know what I mean we had a director here and we have Byron there the show can go on but if Byron's not there, like I'm not cooking the you know what I mean? Like I'm not I'm gonna be in there cooking. So so I went I I think I did Oakland that day. But Byron had to do we ended up somebody somebody was late or left something. So Byron like one of the boxes with food in it. So Byron had to end up driving it from the kitchen. I think to either to Oakland or to San Francisco. And I was, so I was, I think I was doing Oakland. He was, so he had to drive it to San Francisco and we had someone like my mom or somebody do the Sacramento pickup for us. We were really getting it out the mud. So then we had to make it back in time to actually shoot the show. And it was like crazy traffic. So both of us coming from the Bay are just sitting in traffic nowhere. Nothing is working. Like we're not moving an inch. We finally get back. Like we are sweating. We're not even changed and dressed for the show. We're just like, hey, whatever we got on, we're just doing it. Like we were making all these excuses and whatever. And we got that show off. And it was one of our dopest episodes. Like I don't, no one ever knew. Crazy. And no one ever knew what happened, but we were like, bro, we're just gonna, like people paid all this money for this food. Like we had a charity we were donating stuff to. We have our guests. And we just were like sitting in the car. We finally got there. It was nuts. There was that one. And then there was the time that we like, we, we started getting kind of big, right? We were feeling ourselves in like this. One of the, one of these companies had to start shooting in, in like, like basically like model units for apartment buildings, like that were for sale. So we would uh -huh. like, you know what I mean? Like we would do like a tour, we would do some stuff, we would do a segment on the rooftop or we were just like sipping on a drink or something. And then we would shoot in the, in the kitchen, right? Like super dope kitchen of this apartment. So for whatever reason, like we, I, I remember like, yo, there's internet in there, right? And they were like, yep, internet's good. We went in and we tested it. So internet's going, we're ready to go. The gas wasn't on. They didn't have gas turned on. <laughs> they didn't have gas in this apartment, right? So <clears throat> I was like, yo. So I got in the whip, dipped, dipped out. We're just shooting the show. And I was like, Byron, just start talking to the person. So I, I lived kind of, yes. So I dipped and I got like our just like portable burners like from the storage, brought them back and we did the show. Like we're in this beautiful kitchen, but we're just cooking all these little burners like right in front of the thing. It was crazy. 
but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's actually funny. I haven't thought about that in a long time. It's like humbling. <laughs> like we have a whole restaurant now. That's where we, we came like, from. Man, that's where it oh, came from. Girl. <laughs> the mud, getting it out the mud. What makes a good recipe or a cookbook? You know what? So I just saw the the Ghetto Gastro cookbook, Black Power Kitchen. Shout out to Osai and the whole Ghetto Gastro crew too. Yeah. But the visuals on that thing. It's so fire. The visuals, it goes so crazy. Uh, I'm always about, and I guess it goes for a recipe too, or a cookbook is like, there, there are principles and staples and structure of something that we can that we can hold on to, but reimagining something from the bottom up, I think is dope. For our, for Juneteenth, we did no, it was for it was for Black Heritage Month last year. We did, I think we called it an homage to Black Futures, and Chef Byron just basically reimagined what all of these recipes that we grew up from fried chicken to whatever like in black households, what are they going to be like in the future? You know, so he started like, what, like, what can I take? How, what this piece of chicken, this wing or whatever, like, how can we reimagine this? And what is it going to look like in the future? And he just gave himself license to be curious and to dream on that. So I think the the dopest things are when you have a foundation to adhere to, whether it's grandma's cooking, whether it's whether it's uh, classic training, whatever the case may be, but then you take your creative license and reimagine it in ways that take it to a place that, you know, it's never been. And um, I think, you know, my favorite cookbooks do stuff like that. Diasporican from Liliana Massenet was dope uh, mm-hmm. as well, but um, the dope, you know, it's like Puerto Rican recipes and things like that. But I think when you just, take time to reimagine something, kind of make it yours or make it ours or make it everyone's or whatever the case may be. And not just like fusion, like, yo, this is a egg roll with the, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but just like really, really taking the time to think through something and, and, and reimagine it is what I respect the most. Yeah, I, I was mm-hmm. saying that I really love cookbooks and I really yep. love stories and I like very, detailed educational cookbooks that will tell you exactly how to make something this way as if you don't understand it. Right. Okay. I think that's why the cooking was dope. Yeah. Because we literally taught somebody how to make something you would have never had, you know what I mean? Like was just too intimidating to try at the crib. You just let the restaurant do it. We're like, nah, Mm -hmm. this is all you got to do to bust it down, you know? And you guys really explained things like in very much detailed and kind of gave tips about like plating and like how yeah. important certain yeah. things were to make food look and feel beautiful. Restaurants or elevated exclusive dining experiences? Um, interesting. So we so that, that's actually a really good question because now we do both, but we were so anti this restaurant like restaurant model at the beginning where we were like yo this these places don't feel super welcoming to me and i really enjoy being in places that where i can eat good food and i i spend money on eating but i also want to be in environments where obviously where we all feel safe but where we all feel welcome and I feel like not just me, not just I can come eat here, but where you can catch where a lot of people, where there's access, there's a real access point, there's real access. And I feel like when it comes to fine dining, there's so many limiting things to that access. And you can really do that in, in each space. That's why we really strive. Like we've had some events where it was like 350 bucks to, to eat, yeah. but we also have little, you know, things that are make sure that there's access for everyone, you know, whether it's free or, or whether it's a lower price point, but still the same high quality. And we do that by, you know, partnering with brands and letting them put the bill, you know, and put their name on it and we bring it to y'all. So for me, I love, I love a restaurant experience because I, I like just eating with people. I love super social environments. 
And when we have done our experiences that we create, I like to create experience. Like at first it was the anti-restaurant. It was like, yo, come kick it and catch a vibe and the food's going to be fire. But it's about the vibe first. It's right. about coming and creating. It was about space making. We're going to create this dope space that you just want to be in. And then, oh, by the way, the food is dope. And so for also would would say what I did last night with my family on Christmas, you know, <laughs> was a very exclusive dining experience, but it was just us at the crib, at my brother's crib. So I think the rest, the best restaurants are the ones that make you feel welcome and it's a space for everybody and the food and drink flow and it's good, uh, but it's about trying to curate, trying to get to that center point between these kind of dope experiences and a traditional restaurant experience. It's not easy to do, I, I can tell you straight up. <laughs> I can tell you straight out the gate, it is not easy to do. I have a very uh, large appreciation for that. For us, like we call Tiger a social space. The yeah. Tiger Restaurant Lounge, with the social space, and we fill it with all the different social artifacts. That's food, that's music, that's art, yeah. you know. Yeah. We just try to create this dope social space that you just want to be at, and you can come dine there, too. So do come dine there. <laughs> <laughs> And the last question is events in the Bay Area or events in Sacramento? Oh, so Sacramento, we have worked very hard to stay in Sacramento, if that makes sense. So we've ever yeah. since we kind of got popping, we've been getting pulled to go, whether it's New York, L.A., the Bay Area, wherever and kind of set up shop there, we feel and we've been proving that we can be, keep our headquarters and our home in SAC, but reach everywhere else as well. We'll be in New York this year. We'll be in DC this year. We'll be in LA this year in 2023. But we do probably, especially before the restaurant, we probably, it was probably 50-50 or even a little more Bay Area events in the Bay Area in general. I love Oakland. I have such a strong Black community in, in Oakland. I have great community in Sacramento as well of peers and creatives where I'm definitely fed, but we're a tight-knit and smaller group to where I feel like I go out to Oakland and sometimes I feel like I'm in Wakanda sometimes, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, damn, I'd be like, we are really out here. And I love that. And I, I really do love that feeling. I really do love that feeling. I got a rep for my city, so I'm, I'm going to say Sacramento. But okay. the Bay Area is definitely a second home. I'm very tapped in out there. On the line. I'm so here to go. If there were one song to follow you everywhere you went, so no matter where you went, people heard this song trail behind you, what would it be and why? That's a good question. Dang, I want to say this, but I'm not really messing with dude. But immediately, just when I heard the question, I was like, da-da-da-da, wait till I get my money. You know what I'm saying? That's where, I went. That's where my brain went right away. But I, I mean, I but actually, I don't want to be waiting until I get it right all the time, though, either. So yeah. but that's what that's what came to my head right away. That's what popped up. So let's just rock with that, even though I'm not rocking with dude right now. But let's rock with that one. And the last part was she was saying she said why. So so I actually what is crazy about that was <clears throat> I remember I got this half. This must have been like twenty. 2013 or something like that i got a brand new beamer <clears throat> i was i was dipping out of the lot paired my phone you know what i mean i was like because when i pull out of this lot like i'm going to be slapping exactly what i want to be slapping this was like a long it was like the moment was a long time coming too because it was like i just finally got my money right and i was slapping that so I turned that on, blasting, like I'm about to blow off the speakers the first day. I dip out of, it was Nilo BMW in fact. I dip out, go left onto whatever that street is, how or whatever. I immediately almost got in an accident. Like, 
<laughs> immediately, like I was feeling myself a little too much, but I was good. And then I just just dipped off into the sunset, still bumping it. Like I just, it just felt so good. It just felt so good. And um, so I, I think it was just like, it was a sense of journey. And I think we all should stay in tune and tap into the sense of journey because you know, like like I was talking about earlier, when we kind of got popping and didn't even take a second to step back, we just got stuck in the new flow and that new pace, that pace became the new normal. And we didn't really, you know, and you were like, damn, like, all right, you know, we're entrepreneurs, money's not flowing crazy, like, as, as crazy as this month, what do we need to do? We got to work harder, we're stressing out. But we were like, yo, we launched a business in the heart of a pandemic. Like, look at this journey. You know what I mean? Look at this journey. We own a restaurant. We have, we doing yeah. events for St. Laurent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we we doing events for St. Laurent and, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and we don't even, we don't always take it enough time. So that song to me is like, it was about a sense of, the whole moment for me was about like a sense of journey from struggles to, you know, kind of getting to a, getting to a place. So what it is for me journey great answer what's to come from the last supper society yeah a big part of our focus is like the idea of pairing so obviously in food you think of food and wine pairings or whatever yes. the case might be but for us it's more of a cross-modal pairing so pairing like more of the senses one or more of the senses right so like mm -hmm. So whether it's a art and, you know, pairing art and food or, you know, a lot of it has to do with sound and music, yeah. but sound in general and taste and always looking through it from like a super black lens. So we have, we just, we just tested a concept in the Bay a couple of months ago called edible audio. So it's a, it's like exploring what sound tastes like almost or how sound affects what we're tasting and the, the tasting experience. So that's like a art and science project that we've been taking and pitching to museums, art museums. So that, that is a immersive sound, think sound bath meets dining experience. It sounds fun. It's, it's, it's crazy. Like I can't, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to not say it all because yes. Byron will kill me if I just, you know, blurted it all out. But it's, it, it's as crazy as it's, I'm making it sound. And it's like, we've been learning from this professor of cross-modal research at Oxford and stuff. Like it's been consulting mm -hmm. on this and teaching us about the science behind it. And then tapping into all these different black composers and producers to help us create the soundscape and it's just a very layered process but something that we're super excited about link it up with more artists as well for a, another concept that we tested we tested a food art and wine pairing so like finding getting artists and letting them kind of lead it to where we find the emotional through line from and insp inspiration, like the parallelism from the art to the wine to the food, and it's all paired. Like you, like finding that same emotional response, and and so we're creating a food or, or a bite of food that you would have the bite, you would sip the wine while you're viewing a specific piece of art and trying to capture this whole experience from that so we, we, we it's all about just connecting with different artists different creatives and and creating and, and just pushing the envelope really on on these different experiences so it's not like yo come to dinner in this dope place right you know, overlooking the water you know which we do that and it's fine that's but cool. you know what i mean but we're but we're really <laughs> trying to challenge people and challenge ourselves to create things that people have never seen or never heard or never experienced and um but that's what it's all about in 2023, that level up. Excited to learn yeah. more about that. Uh, what is a goal that you want to see happen within the next six months? I'll check next, back. Yeah. The next six months, I want to see Edible Audio drop. 
in the next six months. Please. So um, if edible audio drops in the next six months, I will be a very happy person. I just want the world and people to be able to experience it and then get feedback and tweak it. But I just want people to see what we've been working on because it's literally insane and crazy. But um, I just want to I want to get it out of our brains and out of the small group of people who have seen it and just let the world have it, you know, and, and figure the rest out later. So check back in, hopefully. And, and shoot, we'll tap in with you. You got the ear. You <laughs> yeah. got the ear anyway. So we need to let you hear something. And the last thing would be just how can people keep up with you in the Last Supper Society? So definitely, definitely on the gram. The gram is one of our biggest tools for communicating. You can communicate with us uh, directly through text as well. Like we literally text back. If you hit us on the gram, you can just click the the thing and you can can send us a text. My phone will buzz and that also will, will put you in our address book. So we'll let you know. We'll shoot out some, you know, we'll shoot out some texts that are just like, yo, this is what we're doing right now. But also you can just text us and be like, yo, Ryan, what's up? What are you doing? I want to come to the restaurant. Let me get a reservation. Let me pull up on you. What's on, what's on the menu right now? So I hope that you guys all enjoyed this episode of the Still Booming podcast with Ryan of Last Supper Society. I am very passionate about food it's not a hobby it's a it's like an actual like thing that gets me going and i'm always cooking or baking something and creating experiences like i have a big background well i have experience in festival planning and event coordination and it's super cool to see somebody put it together the two and creating amazing experiences with some dope brands. Um, I'm about halfway through the season. This is episode four. I have three more to go. And although I don't like doing all the processes, including the marketing and editing of the podcast, I am happy to share this experience with you guys. So please, please, please support the podcast by downloading it hearting it and sending it to the homies on all the platforms that y'all listen to podcasts on follow me at dj red corvette on instagram and twitter and corvizi on tiktok until next week